We'll be talking this morning about Ha'igeret Al-Haromim, the epistle of Rav Shaul to the Romans, Romans chapter 4, starting at verse 13. And we'll pick a title for ourselves, and we'll call this passage The Promise Keeper. Last uh, time we were in Romans, we finished at Romans chapter 4 and verse 12, which turned out to be a good place to stop, because the rest of Romans chapter 4 tells us about the promise and the promise-keeping God. God is faithful. God is a mighty God. Now, I'm reminded, by the way, that uh, we are now in a new lunar year on the Chinese lunar calendar, and we Jews also follow a lunar calendar, but according to the Chinese accounting, we are in the year 4714, I am told. Um, But the Jewish calendar says this is year 5776 since creation, and so The sad fact is that looking back at history, we can see that we Jews had to live for 1,062 years without Chinese food. Um, (laughs) We are famous for enjoying Chinese food. Um, But that, as it may be, as a distraction, can just but remind us that our God has all our times in his hands. He is the promise-keeping God who knows the beginning from the end and who is faithful. And when he makes a promise, even 5,776 years ago or 4,700 years ago, whichever it might be or some other time, God, knowing the beginning from the end, is going to be faithful. He is going to know, unlike us, whether or not it is a reasonable promise to make. Because how many of us have made promises to those we love or to employers or to our children? And then a little piece of information has come up and we realized, I'm going to have to break my promise. We might have made two promises to two different people that cannot be kept we find that we end up, because of our mortality, being unfaithful. But God is faithful. God's got everything in his hands. He knows the beginning from the end. The ancient uh, Jewish people had a saying. It's in a book that was um, actually only we only had copies of it in Ethiopic for many years. I I think that's called Ge'ez. Um, and many of our ancient Jewish writings and ancient Christian writings as well have only been preserved in Ethiopic, quite interestingly. But um, this book of the Jubilees that we finally found a Hebrew copy of in the Dead Sea Scrolls said, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. So here we have our promise-keeping God, and we have Abraham. Now, the book of Jubilees is probably overplaying the perfection of Abraham because the Tanakh does not 
give us any idea and doesn't intend to give us any kind of idea that Avraham is perfect or thought he was or that anyone thought he was, to be honest. But God is a promise-keeping God. So let's read Romans chapter 4 and verse 13. For the promise that he would be heir of the world was not to Avraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect, because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law or the Torah, but also to those who are of the faith of Avraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives the life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Yeshua our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. God has made a great promise. Sometimes we look at Romans and other places in Rav Shaul's writings and we see the word mystery. Rav Shaul came into a world and he preached in a world where the nations were very mixed up in their mysteries. They had their, their mystical ways of looking at things. And we were just in 1 Corinthians a few minutes ago and we're reminded how Rav Shaul went to Corinth and he said, I will only preach Messiah and Messiah crucified. And the reason is he doesn't want anyone to get confused. He is not preaching a mystery religion. He is not preaching some kind of philosophy. He's not preaching something that just happens in a temple where they make sacrifices and eat fancy meals and then go out and do their lives the way they want. But he is talking about Messiah. He is talking about a real person who has come and who has lived among us, and who has given his life for us. And this is a very offensive thing that he is teaching among the Greeks, who like everything to be nice and philosophical. It's a very offensive thing that he is preaching among the Jews, who want Messiah to come and reign, who might have an idea that he will suffer, but really want a Messiah who will come and reign. 
It's a difficult thing. And he comes and he preaches. Not a mystery, although he uses the word mystery because they understand it, but a real flesh and blood, human and divine event in history. Something that is true. This mystery of Messiah Yeshua is something that is promised. And so we're we're going to start by looking at the promised inheritance of Avraham in verses 13 and 14. You see, Avraham had a promise that he would be heir of the world. We look at Bereshit, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. And we're very familiar with the promises that Hashem gave to Avraham. There he told Avraham that he would be a great nation, that he would have this land as far as his eyes could see, that he would be a blessing to all the nations of the world. It was an incredible blessing that Hashem gave, an incredible promise that Hashem gave to Avraham. It is one that we still have recourse to as we talk about how Israel has a right to the land where it now lives. There are those who say Israel should have settled in Uganda. Practically, it might have been better. But that's not God's plan. God's plan is for Israel to be in their own land. And so the ideas of those early Zionists and the British uh, government never came to fruition. The promise that he would be heir of the world. Avraham had a magnificent promise, not only for that land, Haaretz, Israel, but a promise that would affect the whole world. In a sense, he would inherit it because his seed would be a blessing to all of the world. But it was not to Avraham or to his seed through the Torah. And we know it's the Torah that Rav Shaul is talking about because of how he talks about it, as how, how he makes it clear that he is opposing Torah and its deeds to simple works or simple faith in Hashem. It is not through the Torah that Avraham did not have in his day, but it is through the faith of Avraham. It is through Emunah. The rabbi said, a rabbi called Rabbi Yochanan, said there are three people who will, types of people who will inherit the world to come. He who dwells in Eretz Yisrael, he who brings up his sons to the study of Torah, and he who recites Havdalah over the end of the Sabbath. In other words, is a very careful Sabbath-keeping, observing Jewish person. That may be the view of some rabbis. That may be the view of some, some lines in Jewish tradition. But Rav Shaul, speaking in the midst of this, understanding the ideas and thoughts of his own people, points out that it is through the righteousness of faith. It is through faith that Abraham is a tzaddik. And he says, if those 
who are of the law are heirs. Faith is made void. And so, if really we inherit everything because we keep Torah, because we inherit the Torah, then what does it say about faith? Then where is the room for faith? We discussed this a couple weeks ago. We can't go to God and say, I deserve my reward because I've kept your Torah. We don't have the right to do that. If we could, then faith would not be necessary. But none of us can keep God's Torah. If we could, faith would be unnecessary and the promise would be of no effect. Because God's promise to Avraham was a promise given before there was any Torah. Torah could, in a sense, nullify good, um, true faith. It could give us the idea that we can get God's approval by doing things, by just living our life rightly. As we say, you know, people say all the time, I'm a good enough person. I should be acceptable before God. I've done well enough. But we cannot get God's approval by doing good deeds. God's approval is given in response to faith. Emunah, trust in him. Good deeds follow. That's absolutely clear. But the law brings about wrath. Where there is no law, there is no transgression. Another ancient Jewish writing, the book we call Baruch, says, At the time that the unwritten law was named among Israel and the works of the commandments were then fulfilled, and belief in the coming judgment was generated, and hope of the world that was to be renewed was then built up, and the promise of the life that should come hereafter, then it was implanted. People were depending on the Torah. People were trusting in the Torah. But God always said, trust in me. And so he said to Israel at the mountain in the wilderness, not only that they should keep his Torah, but he said, you will be my people and I will be your God. Even at the point when God is establishing the Torah for Israel, he is establishing his relationship. He wants us to have a relationship with him. The Torah is there to tell us that we are all transgressors. None of us are really able to come to God on the basis of our obedience. In the Messianic world today, there's a lot of discussion about the Torah. There's a lot of discussion about the Torah in the Jewish world. You have different viewpoints. You have the um, Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox who are very careful to say that the Torah stands the way it was, including all of our interpretations over 3,000-some-odd years that have 
defined what the Torah is. And this is the way we must keep Torah. We have the conservative, or in England they call them Masorti Jews, who say, well, Torah must change with the times. And so you have the decision by conservative Jews that you can drive to synagogue if it's too far for you to walk on Shabbat. For halachic, legal, thinking, orthodox Jew, you can't do that, or at least you can't let anyone see you do that. Um, This is a different way of looking at Torah. And then you have those who have even more flexible views of what the Torah is. And so it's a live issue for us as Jews. We look at the Torah and we look at the Brit Chadashah and we look at what Yeshua had to say about it and we see that he upheld the Torah, but he gave us some guidelines for how we might understand it and how we might actually live by it. And so Matthew 23 is typical of this, where, Rav, where, where Yeshua speaks about the authority that the Pharisees have, but at the same time points out the dangers of false interpretation or false practices of the Torah. We're not a movement that is going to take the Torah in the same way as the Orthodox Jewish person, because we believe that Yeshua interpreted the Torah for us and showed us what God really wants from us. And it's not merely obedience to the Torah and the Halakha and all those other things that many people seek to live by today. But it is Torah of the heart. It is a life that is devoted to God. It is obedience from the heart rather than living by the letter. This is true Torah, what God has always wanted. He's wanted our hearts. And that's why we call it Torah and not just law, because Torah is God's instruction, God's relationship to us, God's love for us expressed in the story of Israel in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. And so we are told in Romans chapter 4, verses 16 to 18, that it is of faith, that it might be according to grace, that the promise might be sure to all seed. The word sure implies a guarantee. It is something firm, sure, certain, binding, and firm. God's promise does not change. He is the God who does not change. He is the God that we can trust on, trust in. We can believe him implicitly. His promise is sure to all the seed, not only of those who are of the Torah, not only, in other words, to the people of Israel, but also to those who are of the faith of Avraham, who is the father of us all. And so, in a sense, Avraham is the father of us all today. When we have faith in Yeshua, when we have faith in God, we are 
Abraham's descendants. Abraham had no idea what the world would be like 3,000 years later. He had no idea um, how many millions of people or billions would inhabit this globe and how many of those would be those who believe in God in a sense the same way that he did. Believing in God with faith rather than seeking to please God with works. And so God tells Abraham, I have made you a father of many nations. When did God tell Abraham that? He told Abraham that shortly after Ishmael had been separated from him. If we go to Genesis chapter 16 and 17, we see the story. In chapter 16, Hagar had borne a son, and, and um, Abraham was now 99 years old. And actually, I correct myself, this was before Ishmael was actually separated from him. Abraham is 99 years old. And the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, Genesis 17 and verse 1, I am Almighty God, walk before me. And be blameless. So it's not like God had no requirements upon Abraham. But he said, I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abraham fell on his face and God talked with him saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be a father of many nations. Abraham has had Ishmael. He's hopeful that Ishmael will be the one who will inherit everything that he has and inherit the promise. And God says to Abraham, you will be a father of many nations. He is given a new name. Kings shall come from him. And we look at the Middle East today, and it's a very tumultuous place. But buried in the DNA of many of the peoples in the Middle East is a little bit of Avraham's DNA, even today. Avraham is the father of many nations. He is the father of us all. But Rav Shaul is not just talking about the physical fatherhood of Avraham. He's talking about something that is far greater. He's taking this picture of Abraham who is getting that blessing from Hashem. And he's saying it actually has a significance that transcends that genetic DNA descendancy of Abraham. This has a significance in relationship to his faith, in relationship to Abraham's uh, example to us in his relationship to God. And so we read in verse 17 that this promise is given by God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. In our prayers in, in a regular 
daily prayer in the Jewish tradition. Um, there's the prayer that says, Atagi borle olam Adonai mechayeme tim ata rav lahoshia. Who is like you, Lord of mighty acts, and who resembles you, O King, who orders death and restores life and causes salvation? Same verbal root as Yeshua, to sprout forth. Here is God, the one who brings forth life. This is his promise, his promise to Abraham, that through faith there is life. It's quite an amazing statement for Rav Shaul to make. It's quite an amazing thing for him to preach, both in Corinth and to the Romans that he has never met. God is the one who provides life, who brings life. He is the source. And if we have hope in him, if we believe in him, we will have that eternal life. And so we have the example of Avraham again, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations, according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. This is a great thing. This is the promise of Hashem, a promise to us that we would be his descendants if we believe in Hashem, the way Avraham believed in Hashem. The word faith is quite a common one. It's pistis in the Greek. It's quite um, mundane. It's, it's not something that is too difficult. It's kind of faith. It's a faithfulness. It's a belief. It's a trust. It's the kind of trust that implies that actions might follow. Because you believe something, you proceed to behave in a way that demonstrates your belief. People do it all the time. There are environmentalists who believe that if we don't um, act right now to take care of global warming, we are going to be in great trouble. And so as a result, because of their environmental convictions, they are activists for the cause. People act because of their convictions. They act because of your, their faith. Avraham was in a very peculiar position. Whereas the environmentalist might be able to point to many studies, many researchers, and many uh, statistics that are being published even today. And might be able to say there is a lot of evidence for this position that I am taking. Avraham's position was a little bit different. different. All the evidence pointed the other way. For Avraham, he looked... And he realized that he was very elderly. His body was already dead, uh, Paul says, quite uncharitably, of Avraham. Here he is. He's a 100 years old. There's not much left to him. He's a very weak person. He, but Avraham did not consider his own body. He didn't look at it and say, oh, I'm not what I used to be. You know, I'm 55 now. All of a sudden, I realized I have knees. I could never feel my knees before. Um, now I realize, wow, sometimes they hurt. You get old. You realize your mortality. 
Avraham was used to this. He was a hundred. He knew how old he was. Get up in the morning, go through the day. He could feel it. And yet he didn't consider that. He didn't consider the deadness, as Rav Shaul also says in an uncharitable way, the deadness of Sarah's womb. He didn't consider the facts. This is a crazy thing for God to promise. Simply, he had faith. His faith went against what his eyes could see and what his reason told him. Because he had a relationship with God, he knew who God was, and he believed God was good for what he had promised. And so if God said it, he believed it, and as the bumper sticker says, that settles it. As far as Avraham was concerned, he had faith. He believed the promise of God. And therefore, we are told in verse 22, it was accounted to him for righteousness. And that's where we see that there is indeed a promise to believe in. Because God honors his word. And God honors those who have faith. And so we read in verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief. He didn't allow himself. It doesn't mean he never doubted. Be surprising if he didn't doubt and said, am I really right in having faith in God? No. But he consisted, he persisted in his faith. He said, this is the way I will walk, and he walked in it. He persevered. It's the same kind of faith that we need to have. Sometimes the doubts will come in. But when we persevere in our faith, we find what Avraham found, and it's quite fascinating. He was strengthened in his faith. And I think that's something we ought to look at, and something we ought to keep in our minds. Avraham was strengthened in his faith as he lived a life of faith. It tells us that our conduct and our choices, even our choice to have faith, have an effect. And that our faith can actually become stronger in time. We talk about those people who are prayer warriors. Apparently there's a movie out about prayer warriors to these days that many people really like. Um, and, and we talk about those who have great faith. People with great faith don't get there by wallowing around and disbelieving God. They get there by consciously choosing to believe in God. Their strength is reaffirmed. Their strength is strengthened. Avraham was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Our faith is strengthened as we honor God for all he has done. One of the things I appreciate about traditional prayer in the prayer book is that it is very focused on giving honor and glory to God. Many prayers are there that repeat and ex um, repeat 
the glory of God and the magnificence of God and again and again reaffirm how great God is. When we come together to worship, we affirm how great God is as we sing songs, as we remember his son, as we remember what God has done. We reaffirm his glory and it strengthens our faith. If we choose not to fellowship with other believers, if we choose not to spend and take time to actually talk to God, to actually read his word, we are actually actively doing those things that will result in our faith getting weaker and weaker. Our faith is something that needs to be nurtured on a daily and weekly basis. It's important for us to fellowship together. That's what we read in Hebrews. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. There are things we can do that will strengthen our faith and giving glory to God in our lives in every respect is the big part of it. And being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, Abraham knew that God could do what he had said he would do. There's that children's song, My God is so Uh, My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. And I think Avraham would have looked at that, and he would have said, that's true of the God that I know. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There is nothing my God cannot do. Our God is a great God. He is king of all the universe. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't do everything we want, but he does everything he wants. And he knows that he will bring all things together for his glory, for justice and peace on this earth. That day will come. And so for Avraham, it was accounted to him for righteousness. We can be encouraged by the faith of Avraham, who believed in the promise of God. He had a promised inheritance. He lived according to that promise, and he believed in that promise, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And so Rav Shaul comes to the point where he turns now, and he looks at Yeshua. Because for Rav Shaul, it is always all about Hashem and about Yeshua. He always turns to what God has done through Messiah Yeshua on this earth. And he tells us all of this story about Avraham that I've just told you. It's Not only for Avraham's sake that Hashem spoke to Avraham. Otherwise, why would it even be written and recorded for us? It is for us that these things were recorded. So that we might know when we look and when we see how Avraham lived and when we see Avraham's faith, that we might be encouraged. 
It shall be imputed for to us who believe in him who raised up Yeshua, our Messiah, from the dead. We have something to believe in today. Avraham had something that didn't look quite right. He was very old. His wife was very old. How were they going to have a child? And he said, that doesn't matter. I believe in what God has said. And the same thing for us. We look back and we see a crucified Messiah. We see one who died as a common criminal outside the city walls of Jerusalem while people berated him. And our God says, look upon him. Believe in him. Who, and believe in me. Believe in God who raised up Yeshua, our Lord, from the dead. And the result is, for us, quite significant. It's on the one side that we then recognize that Yeshua died because of our transgressions, because we didn't keep the Torah. And that's the kind of wording that Rav Shaul uses, our offenses, We have broken the Torah, but he rose again for our justification so that we might be declared all right before God. Our offenses are set aside by the resurrection of Messiah, Yeshua. This is what it all revolves around, Yeshua's death and his resurrection. Good news for us. Good news that Rav Shaul was willing to lay down his life for, to preach around Asia Minor, towards Western Europe, as far as he could go, and in Jerusalem itself. It was good news for us, and it is good news for the world. We have a great message for our Jewish community and for the city of Vancouver, and we should not be shy to Bring that good news to all those that we can, to all who will hear. Avinu Sheva Shamayim, we thank you for your Messiah, for Yeshua. And we thank you that though the world might scoff and the world might choose not to believe and the world might say he was just a radical who died as a radical, that nevertheless you worked through the mighty name of your son, You worked through his death, and you have worked through his resurrection and brought him to life so that we might know that our sins, our trespasses, have been set aside, and that, as Rav Shaul says, we have been justified by what he has done. Father, we pray that we too might have faith like Avraham, that we too might be able to persevere in that faith, and to walk in that faith and bring glory to you. We pray this in Yeshua's name. Amen.